Welcome to The Diagram. It's your friendly neighborhood relationship coach, Jason. Today we're talking about scheduling reminders and calendars. And you might say, Jason, what does scheduling reminders and calendars have to do with my relationships? Well, here's the thing. All trust-based relationships require trust. One of the main ways that we maintain our trust is by keeping our word. Whether we do this on purpose or not doesn't matter to the other people that we're in a relationship with. Whether you know it or not, the people who you are in relationships with are building trust feelings for you based on how often you keep your word or not. For a lot of people, this is a challenge when it comes to their schedule. Being on time, not changing plans last minute, remembering to reach out, all of these things require um, scheduling skills and they can have a huge impact. Not necessarily that you're on purpose not keeping your word, but the fact is a lot of the time what I see is that people aren't keeping their word and it's negatively impacting the trust that other people have for them, whether that person is their partner whether that person is their children or their parents or in the workplace. So we're going to talk about it because it's an important tool to have in your arsenal to create trust with the people you're talking about. So my number one suggestion when I'm working pe with people is use what has worked for you before. What do I mean by that? If keeping a physical journal, meaning a little book that you walk around with and write in what you're going to do and when you're going to do it, works for you, then get yourself one of these journals or calendars. Usually you go to um, the store in the stationary section and you find them. Here's what I mean by it works for you. In order for this to work for you, you have to have the habit of taking the book with you wherever you go. You have to have the habit of checking the book at the beginning of the day each day or most days, as I would like to say. And you also need to have the habit of checking what's coming up in the future, meaning what am I doing tomorrow? What am I doing later on in the week? If this habit has worked for you in the past, go ahead and get yourself one of these books and try it again. All parts of this are key for a paper journal working for you. Now that said, many people have never used a paper journal for this. And they like the idea of using a paper journal, I'm going to go ahead and say that even if you're going to get a paper journal, I'm going to suggest that you start using whatever you have. Um, what do I mean by that? What I mean by using what you have, most of us have a smartphone at this point that we can sync with the calendar that's on our desktop computer if we have one still, which means if you have a Samsung phone, Google Calendar is probably on there. If you have an iPhone, Apple Calendar is on there. Either one of these tools are actually great tools where you can use reminders, where you can go ahead and... Whichever phone you have, either one of those um, calendars are a great tool. What you need to be able to do is set reminders on there and have notifications on that you will pay attention to. If you use these before, whether you use a calendar at work or whether you use a calendar at school, 
put things in there that aren't just from one area of your life. You can add things from your social life. You can add your health goals on there. Think about what are my big time goals for the year? What am I trying to achieve in the year? And then think about what you need to do in a week and start adding the time in. You only want reminders that you're going to listen to, which brings me to my second point. Cut the noise. What do I mean by cutting the noise? Cutting the noise means don't write down everything, whether it's in your book or whether you're using a calendar, you don't need everything in there. An example, if you're a person who's good at waking up at six o'clock every day, you don't need a reminder to wake up at six. In fact, you don't need an alarm. So it's not something that you have to set in your scheduling system. We're talking about the things that you want to improve in your life that you haven't had much success in adding to your life at this time. So when I say cut the noise, your apps that are on your phone specifically for your phone at this point. If you're going to log into Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook for my older folks, no offense, I'm an older folks too. Whatever the app is that you're gonna log into when you feel like it, and it doesn't matter who posted what, turn the notifications off. Go into that app and turn off the notifications. Hard fact, if you have a friend who sends you 20 memes a day, we all have at least one, I have a few. If you have a friend who sends you 20 memes a day on one app and none of them are urgent, turn off the notifications for that friend. Why? We ignore them anyways. We're not looking at them or we shouldn't be every time somebody wants to send us something funny because we have other stuff to do. Um, so what you need to do, you don't need that bump that so-and-so has sent you nine messages when you go to look at your phone. You wanna be able to see the important stuff. This doesn't mean turn off text messages from your children, although some of us would like to, and some days with boundaries, it would be great to be able to do that. But what we need to do is turn off the noise, notifications that we don't need, emails from our junk email account. Yes, you're gonna look at it. You may even schedule it. You might do this once a day or twice a day or three, four times a day if you're really having a good time. Some of us naturally will log into our favorite entertainment app many times a day, which also means we don't need the notification. If you're going to, in a different example, log on to Instagram or TikTok every two hours, you don't need a notification of who sent you what because you're still going to log on every couple hours. You want your notifications to matter to you, so you wanna cut out the noise. That's number two. Number three, whatever system that you're adopting, you wanna test it. Try using the system for a couple weeks and see if it's helping you to keep more of your stuff um, in the front of your mind. If you're finding that, hey, I'm actually working out more with this system. You're not going for perfection. If your goal is to work out five times a week and you start using a reminder system and all of a sudden, instead of going once a week, you're going three times a week to work out, that's progress. That's what you're looking for. Test your system. If it's not working, try something different. There are audio reminders. You can use, um, I didn't mention before, many of us have um, home apps, whether it's um, Amazon-based, Google-based, or Apple-based. We have Siri, whichever. 
you can use those. You can set reminders on them. So whichever one is working for you, go with it. If something's working, don't keep switching. Stay with what you're using. But if you conversely find that you've tried something new and it's not working, you are not finding that an improvement in your scheduling, try something different. There is not just one way to do things. That's number three. Number four, leave space for incidentals. When you're scheduling your days and weeks, the most tempting thing is to schedule every last minute as if you're going to follow it. I have good and bad news for you. Life happens. You have moods. You're going to be more tired and less tired some days than others. And that is perfectly normal and okay. So what you need to do is schedule blank space into your calendar. When the reminder comes up, you want to give yourself enough room. Example, if you want to go to the gym to work out, you're not a person who works out at home, and you know it takes you 15 minutes to get to the gym, when you schedule that reminder, you want to give yourself a 15-minute lead time so that you have enough time to get to the gym. You also want to schedule an hour ahead reminder so whatever you're doing, you get this little reminder that says, time to go to the gym. When you get that reminder, you may be doing something, which means you can't go to the gym. Not a big deal. Move the reminder to another time. You didn't lose because you didn't go to the gym at 6 p.m. You can change that gym time to 7 p.m. or the next day at 6 p.m. All I'm saying is leave yourself some, some wiggle room in the scheduling that you make. Number five, prune what you do not need. This is more for later on after you've had the system and it's working. Once you get in the habit and you don't need the reminder, if you just remember, oh, well, my gym days are Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Date night is Tuesday. I'm going to work on my writing on the weekend on Saturday morning when the house is quiet, if you have that. But my point is, if you get it to the point where you're now keeping things on your schedule, you no longer need to keep the reminder for it necessarily. It has become noise. And then we go back up to cutting the noise. But I call this pruning because over time, there are things that become regular for us. We will fall into a new habit. You don't need the calendar forever to be your friend. You just need it to set you up for these habits. Once the habits become formed, you'll be better and you can prune. You can get rid of the things and add habits that you need reminders for. Those are my five tips for using scheduling, reminder tools, and calendars. I hope this helps. Have a great week. Welcome to The Diagram. It's your friendly neighborhood relationship coach, Jason Monroe. Today we are talking about grief and um, five things I wish that I knew about grief. So the first thing is the five stages of grief are not cyclical. I'm not going to get into specifically what the five stages of grief are. I try to keep these short, as you know, but maybe a couple of them. Typically, people will think that you go through the negative stages of grief, um, which are considered socially to be sadness or depression and anger and denial. Um, and then you go into the positive stages of grief, which are renegotiation, acceptance, 
um, basically finding a new way forward with the fact that you're grieving. The reality with grief is that it is not in a um, a straight line. It's 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 not cyclical. It's not that you go through stages one through five. It's that you go through all of the stages. Sometimes you'll spend more time in the sadness. Sometimes you will spend more time in the denial, even years after the thing that made you grieve happened. Um, you just won't be able, you have a moment where you're like, I can't believe this, this person passed or this thing happened, which I'll get into is actually the second thing about grief. Grief is not just about death, which is really a big, uh, a lot of people don't get this. So I, I talk to my clients quite a bit about it. Anytime you had a significant loss or disappointment, you will grieve. Now, Coupled with that, it's also any time that you had a reasonable expectation that something significant in your life would happen or something significant wouldn't happen. I'll give you some examples. But anytime you have a reasonable expectation and something the opposite of it happens, we grieve. Now, of course, yes, when death happens, unexpected death, um, that's the easy example, but Let's say in the workplace, you are really being primed for a promotion or an opportunity in the workplace, and it does not come to fruit. It doesn't come to pass that this thing is something that you can have, even though you've been primed for it maybe for years. It is reasonable. You will go through the stages of grief. If you have a counselor or a therapist, you should talk to them about it and you, you know, if you find that you're going through the stages of grief or the parts of grief, I should say per number one, I believe in parts of grief, not stages of grief. You should talk to them about it and get them to help you work through it. Um, other examples in your relationship, a big one. If your partner cheats or betrays you in some way, it is not something that we get into a committed relationship expecting. So therefore, yes, we grieve. Um, in a parent-child relationship, if your parent betrays you, the same thing. Anything that you wouldn't expect can lead to grief um, and significant grief, similar to a death. Um, one of my other examples is when we get separated or divorced, we grieve. Um, and one of the harder parts with separating or getting divorced is that we grieve and we don't get the opportunity to get community support in our grief. Um, in most religious organizations, if your partner passed away or died, you would see people show up. The Your your community, your network would bring you food. They'll mourn with you. They'll come check for you. When If you get separated or divorced, quite likely no one is coming or very few people are coming. Some people will try to avoid you as if the fact that your relationship didn't work out could be infectious. In fact, some people's partners will tell you that they don't want you hanging out with so-and-so because they got separated or divorced. I've heard this. It's a real thing. So these are just a few examples of where grief happens, where we didn't expect it. And I want you to know that it's okay. Number three, the time is not fixed. You are not going to grieve and be in a place where it's 
basically, oh, well, my grief is going to take three months or three years. Some people grieve for a lifetime. Some people grieve for years, uh, depending on what the thing is. Some people may, ne may never stop grieving. And yes, it may get better. You may spend less time in the anger and sadness. Um, but often people grieve for unexplainable amounts of time. And in the other direction, grief may not take as much time as people may think it should. It's nobody's business how long you grieve. You grieve as long as you need to. Please remember that. Number four, this is the grief cycle that I think is important that people learn about. What it is, is you support in and you complain out. What do you mean by that? Um, think about the grief as a storm that is swirling in one direction. And the storm has an eye, it has a center. Whoever is at the center of the storm, whoever is closest to the thing that happened that is causing people to grieve, they get the most support. No one should complain to, if it's one person, no one should complain to that person. If they need to complain, they complain to people who are less impacted by the grief. You complain out and you support in. So the example is, realistically, if someone passes away, if your partner passes away, you are the person who is most affected. Well, yes, their parents might be equally affected. Their siblings might be equally affected. Now, in this case, you might not be able to support each other properly because you're all so close to the center of the storm. But in a different example, if your partner passes away and your cousin knows your partner through you, they're not best friends, they just know you, your cousin should not complain to you or seek heavy support from you. They should be mostly there to support you. I get that this is not perfect and there are moments in grieving is not perfect, right? But if you're a person who's around grief, and you're not the person who's at the center of the grief, you got to seek your own support because you shouldn't seek it from the people who are closest to the center of the grief. Five, back to that. You need to get the right people around you. You need to get people around you who are not going to blue sky your grief, who are not going to try and show you the higher meaning of the hard time that you're facing or trying to rush you through your grieving or trying to show you that your grief is not something that is a big deal and you should just get over it. Those are not people you want around you. If you find those people, and I know this might sound harsh, I'm not saying to get rid of them, but during your grief, it's not a great time to have those people around. You want people who can listen without giving you solutions. You want people who can be there for you and take care of the things that you can't even think properly about taking care of you for yourself. You don't need people around you that you're going to take care of even though they're not grieving. Some people just haven't matured enough to really take care of somebody who's grieving yet. And without judgment, you need to find the people who are capable of taking care of you while you're grieving. And the tip about this one is actually that you want these people before grief happens. This is very important as far as building your network. You want to know who on your team is good at supporting you. When grief happens, these are the people that you want around you. So those are my 
five things I wish I knew about grief, five things I try to make sure that my clients know about grief when they're going through grief, whether it is a death or whether it is a loved one who gets sick or they get sick or they lose a job or something bad happens in their life. There are so many different things that make us grieve. And um, these are things that I really wish people knew. I hope this helps. Have a good week.